Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie. As you know, we're currently doing a membership drive. Membership really keeps this thing running, and right now is an excellent time to become a member. If you become a yearly member, you're going to get members-only episodes, transcripts, timelines, and more. You're also going to get BHP buttons and stickers sent to your house. So if you're interested, we really would appreciate your support. Also, it makes a great gift. So if you'd like to become a member, you can do so over at my site, thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Okay, let's cover some history. So, since it's Christmas, I thought it would be fun to look into an aspect of Christmas that's always interested me. And we could look into it with our usual BHP style. Ever since I was a kid in Catholic school, I've been somewhat fascinated by the date of Christmas. I've often wondered where it came from, given that it doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. And, as the feast is celebrating the birth of Jesus... It seemed rather odd to set the date so close to midwinter, given the fact that the Middle East gets pretty nippy in winter, and the story of the nativity takes place pretty much outside, you know, with lambs and stuff. So what was going on there? Was one of the sheep just looking to get a mid-year quickie and had an unscheduled surprise? Did Mary and Joseph just pack a lot of blankets and thermalundies? Or was something else going on? Well, interestingly... There aren't any indications that the early Christians kept a tradition of the date for the birth of Jesus. Attempts at placing the date didn't come along for centuries, and a vast majority of those trying to find a date for the birth tended to opt for spring. In fact, it wasn't until 354 that our current date for Christmas appeared, with it popping up in the calendar of Philocalus in Rome. From there, it spread to the east, though it was resisted by some of the churches, most notably the Armenian church, who never adopted it. And it would take another 200 years before that date managed to reach Jerusalem. So why December 25th? Why that specific date? Well, the 4th century writer Cyrus tells us that it was because of a pagan holiday that was rather popular. We're told that the 25th was the birthday of the sun. So to celebrate, they would light candles and such and have a festival. This was the imperial festival for Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. And the celebration was something of a new one. While the religion had been around for several hundred years, this particular date was an official holiday for only about 80 years at this point. But it was pretty popular. And that wouldn't be so bad if it was just pagans doing it. But apparently, Christians rather liked this holiday as well. And that just wouldn't do. So in keeping with the tone of the early church, you'll remember that Pope Gregory counseled Augustine to consecrate pagan sites and try and tie them to the church. Well, the leaders of the early church determined that the nativity should be attached to that day. In fact, both Pope Leo and Augustine of Hippo were rather concerned with the confusion that this dating might bring. So they were quite clear to remind people that they were worshiping Christ and definitely not the Son. So, while that's a little muddy, we still owe quite a lot to Cirrus for giving us an answer, because otherwise, trying to figure this out might be a bit like reading tea leaves. And there's something poetic about placing the birth of Jesus so close to solstice. That's because solstice is the point in the year where the day is the shortest and the night is the longest. After that, the days get longer and the nights get shorter. And that has a nice ring to it when you're discussing it in terms of the birth of a savior. And while people haven't been always sure about the date of solstice, it's always hovered right around this point in the year. 
And in fact, in the Julian calendar, solstice landed directly on Christmas. Though, to be clear, the 25th wasn't yet Christmas when that calendar was made. So we found the first piece of the puzzle for the date of Christmas. Good old-fashioned competition and attempts to bring pagans into the fold. And frankly, the 25th was a good date for that because there were all sorts of other festivals that could get drawn in as well. That entire period is a high-traffic area for holy days in Rome. You had Saturnalia on December 17th. As we have learned, you have Solstice sometime around the 25th. And then you have Day starting on the 1st of January and stretching into the 3rd. So what were these holidays? Well, Saturnalia sounds like it was a ton of fun. And the Romans thought so as well. It was quite popular. So Saturnalia had two parts. The first part was the religious aspect. And that took place on the 17th of December, as I mentioned. But it was followed by two to seven days of incredible revelry. Seriously, up to seven days of partying. Now that is a holiday. And that also meant that it could run right up to Christmas. And during that period, things went a bit nutty. Schools, shops, and courts shut down. Gambling was permitted. They did a sort of Freaky Friday thing where masters and servants would exchange clothing and roles. Pranks would be played. They did a sort of odd game of truth or dare, except it was more like dare or dare. And I think this part might sound familiar to you. They would have extraordinarily lavish feasts and exchange presents. And in this case, symbols of light, such as candles, were especially popular. Calendae, which was tied to Janus, continued this tradition of feasting and gifting. Starting on the 1st and continuing through the 3rd, this festival brought even more meals, revelry, and gifts that hopefully would bring good luck for the new year. Honey and pastry were common gifts, but figs, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Or just good old-fashioned coinage were among the most popular of gifts. So, does that check from your nana for 10 quid mean she's secretly a devotee of Janus? I don't know, but let me ask you this. Does she also like Fig Newtons? So yeah, the early church had quite a bit of pagan competition for late December and early January. And honestly, setting the nativity on that date was a pretty smart move, as it would end up absorbing many of the pagan traditions and also wipe out others, like the Freaky Friday thing. And we really should have kept that. My old boss would have hated it. And given the fact that these were sort of just a series of intense parties, I mean, they really just stretched through the season, only one Christian holiday probably wouldn't be enough to compete. So the church started adding in other holidays, like the feast for the first Christian martyr, Stephen, which was on the 26th, or John the Evangelist's feast, which was on the 27th, and a feast for the holy innocents that were slaughtered by Herod at Bethlehem on the 28th. Even the baptism of Christ landed during this period, being dated on the 6th of January. The church was in full swing here, and by 567, we at last have the 12 days of Christmas. And that went from the Nativity, which was the 25th, to the Epiphany, which was January 6th. So we have one big festival cycle. And get this, three days in the middle, representing Calendae, were to be maintained as fasts. So Calendae is still there. Now, why was it a fast? I don't know, because Christianity or something? Or, more likely, fears of adult-onset diabetes? I mean, 12 days of feasting? Good God, people! But, despite all these parties and incredible weight gain, the old ways did persist. While Saturnalia seems to have died on the vine, Calendae really clung to life for ages. 
Jerome, Ambrose, Augustine, Chrysostom, Maximus of Turin, Chrysologus of Ravenna, Caesarius of Ares, and Pasean of Barcelona all complained of either Calendae directly or how the midwinter and New Year's festivals were far too similar to Calendae. In fact, that attachment to the Roman celebration was so staunchly held by the people that by the 700s, the church said, fine, fine, you can celebrate New Year's on the 1st. Why? Well, because that was the day that Christ was circumcised, obviously. Which might explain the popularity of kazoos and party horns. And speaking of popularity, Christmas was the most popular festival in the West, while Easter was the big celebration in the East. And some have argued that this is due to the darkness, cold, and general crappy weather giving rise to the need for revelry and something to look forward to during winter in the West. And given the balmy weather and abundance of palm trees in Britain, I'm sure it's going to come as no surprise that Christmas was definitely popular in our rainy little slice of heaven. See, you knew I'd tie in Britain eventually, didn't you? So what exactly was going on in the British Isles with all this stuff? To start with... This whole New Year's thing was apparently a bit of a mess, especially in the roughly Vikingish north of England. I can say that because in 1008, Archbishop Wolfstan of York was at his wit's end with the, quote, nonsense which is performed on New Year's Day in various kinds of sorcery, end quote. Yep, they were apparently practicing magic up there. And I'm guessing that some of you Southern English are swelling with pride right now and saying, I knew we were better than those godless Northerners. Well, think again. Even later, in the 12th century, Bartholomew, the Bishop of Exeter, wrote about how to properly punish, quote, those who keep the new year with heathen rites, end quote. Oh, you Southern heathens. Even in the 14th century, we read of warnings against the use of magic on New Year's Day. And in the 15th century, there are complaints of people using divination on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Something that we also see in the 19th and 20th centuries. So yeah, there are all sorts of old behaviors that seeped into the celebrations. The question you might be asking is whether or not we have any literary evidence of pre-Christian, or at least pre-Christmas, traditions of Britain that have been maintained over the years. Well, information regarding the Irish pagan practices of midwinter are sparse, to say the least. The Ulster Cycle, for example, doesn't mention any sort of midwinter feast. St. Patrick did mention that the pagans adored the sun, and there's a glossary that was written around 900 CE that mentions solar symbols being carved into altars, but that's hardly proof of a midwinter feast, or any sort of parallel to the Christmas season as we come to know it that predates the arrival of Christianity in Ireland. However, by the 11th century, it does look like the 12 days of Christmas were fully entrenched in Ireland. Now, what about Wales? Well, medieval literature references a midwinter festival, and apparently it was the most important of their annual celebrations. However, interestingly, it wasn't tied to the nativity, but rather it had a markedly secular title, the New Year's Feast. And evidence to this feast goes back at least as far as Igadothan, which, you might remember from the Arthur episodes, might have originally been composed pretty close to the time of Arthur, meaning the 6th century. Which could indicate that it's Christian or pagan in origin, given the timing. The praise of Tembi, which is from the 9th or 10th centuries, also references the celebration. Even a 10th century Welsh poem about King Arthur references a New Year's feast. But, 
As you might have noticed, none of these predate the advent of Christianity, nor its arrival in Wales, nor even the selection of the 25th as the date for the Nativity. So while the presence of New Year's feasts indicate that this was a festival period for Wales, it doesn't provide any evidence of a native pre-Roman or pre-Christian celebration. That isn't to say that there wasn't one, merely that we don't have any definitive proof of one in the literary material that was coming out of Wales. However, not everything from the Celtic West was lost. Do you remember that Druidic rite we talked about that involved mistletoe? It was the one that involved fertility. I think we talked about it a couple years ago. Well, it's possible that some of that tradition survived in our current use for mistletoe, which is generally used as a way to scam people for kisses. Kisses, fertility, you get the point. And the fact of the matter is that Druidism was quite strong in Britain, especially in Wales. So it is quite suggestive. However, it's also possible that, in winter, mistletoe was just one of the few things that was still brilliantly green and red, and that the use of it was a total coincidence. Alright, what about England? What did the Anglo-Saxons and Vikings think about all of this stuff? And how did they impact how we approach the date of Christmas? Well, Bede, it's impossible to talk about England during this period without mentioning Bede, isn't it? Well, Bede tells us that on the 24th of December, they had a festival that used to be known as Modernicht, which translates to Mother Night. Sounds spooky. So this was apparently the beginning of the new year, and they opened it up with unnamed religious rites. But Bede has shown us repeatedly in other instances that he's easily confused or at least misled when it comes to pagan practices, so it's hard to say exactly what was going on there. And some have even argued that the mother in Mother Night was Mary. And if that's the case, then this wasn't pagan. It was a Christian practice that he just misunderstood. And the fact that there aren't any similarly named practices on the continent does add to this general sense of skepticism regarding its paganism. But ultimately, it's something that we just don't know. However, it does seem like the 12 days of Christmas were firmly entrenched in England by 877. And in the law books, it was simply a 12-day reprieve from work following midwinter. Which means that Alfred the Great celebrated the 12 days. Which is kind of neat in itself. And by 1038, we have the first indication of the celebration's name that continues to this day. Christus Mason, also known as Christmas. And right around this same point, we have another term for this period popping up. With the growing power of the Danes in England, we're seeing the influence of Scandinavian culture upon the Christmas season. And one way we see that is with the term Yule gaining popularity. Yule comes from Old Norse, where it was Yol, and later was Yule in Swedish and Yule in Danish. I know that sounds the same, but I swear they're spelled differently. So why did this term get applied to this point in the year? Well, that's not entirely known. Some think it's connected to the Anglo-Saxon word for wheel. Others think it's connected to the word for jolly. No one's really sure. And there are even arguments over whether or not it was simply attached to Christmas, or if it was attached to a festival that predated Christmas, such as the pagan feast Winter Nights, which was originally a three-day celebration in October, where you would offer sacrifices for an easy winter. However, December is not October. Also, if you're doing those sacrifices in December, I think you're a bit late to the party. You're already deeply into winter. Now, some have said that there's a Christian king of Norway known as Hakon the Good who might explain why there is this switch in months. It's thought that he might have moved the celebration to coincide with the nativity, also to help with, you know, conversion. 
so it's possible that Winter Nights and Christmas might have blended together. And that merger of celebrations could well account for why all of those members of the clergy were so up in arms over magical rituals occurring in the centuries that followed. But who knows? So, what does all of this tell us? Well, the dating of the Nativity didn't come from any contemporary sources and appears to have been originally tied to conflicts with, or to put it more politely, efforts to convert, pagan populations. The pagan traditions that were celebrated at this time of the year didn't go away easily, which gave rise to the concept of the Christmas season, with a whole variety of Christian holidays popping up. New pagan populations integrating with England in the form of the Danish invasions led to even more pagan terms, and probably pagan religious behaviors. And even centuries later, even in our modern day in fact, the church has found it nigh impossible to drag the paganism out of how we celebrate this time of the year. So, from the BHP to you, Merry Modernacht and Happy Yule. Thanks for listening. Three.